0: Today's reading is on page 990 of the Bibles, and it's Luke 15, verses 1 to 4, and then from 11 onwards. The parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was once a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, forgive me my my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything... I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hard servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was so filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Lord God, may we receive your word and your instruction this morning in the power of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of many names, a sermon in two acts. Act one, the Reverend Hugh Grimes, turbulent priest, occasionally interested in his job, unintentional hero. Stay with me, this will make sense. Charles Hugh Duffy Grimes was a typical, one might even say ordinary clergyman of his generation. He had been a scholar of Jesus College, Cambridge, where his primary interest had been in English regional history. In an age where clergy were not necessarily expected to hold theological matters as their primary interest, this proved no bar to Grimes, and he ended up being ordained a priest in St. Albans in 1904. Initially, Grimes devoted much of his time to his passion for history, becoming particularly interested in the rather cheery subject of the history of divorce. In 1907, he took a job teaching in Australia, where he was to remain undistinguished for 12 years. During a parish job back in England, he mostly seemed to work on his new hobby, the study of migration. It was for his initially amateur research on this particular area for the church army that he was made a Fellow of the Royal Geographical Society. By now, Grimes was nearly 50 years old and had grown tired of even cursory forays into English parish life. With this admirably short curriculum vitae, he took the equivalent of an early retirement and became chaplain to a number of British expatriate communities scattered around Europe. From Barcelona to the fashionable resorts of La Havre and Biarritz, Grimes spent the next decade laying his hat across the continent. By 1934, he had arrived in Vienna. Christchurch, the Anglican outpost in the city, was not a particularly grand affair. It was attached to the embassy and due to an old imperial law prohibiting non-Roman Catholic worship outside of areas with diplomatic privileges, the tiny chapel there could only accommodate 150 people at a push. Grimes remained there longer than in his other posts, until in 1938, the storm clouds that had been building across Europe finally broke over Charles Hughes Duffy Grimes' quiet signature. On 12th March 1938, German forces rolled over the border into Austria. Suddenly, Grimes and his congregation were living under a Nazi regime. Over the four years he'd been serving in Vienna, Grimes had got to know and befriend members of the Jewish community. Recognizing their panic and wary of the impending travel ban on Jews from Austria, the gentle Cambridge clergyman began to offer baptism to all who came to him, providing them with a safe ticket out of Nazi occupied Vienna in the form of a baptismal certificate. Spring came. And then summer, and the persecution of the Jewish homes and businesses increased. What had been a trickle of a few Jews with links to England became a flood. Grimes began holding several services each day. At one, he issued 103 baptism certificates. At another, 229 So the Anglican chaplaincy became a revolving door for Jews desperate to find a loophole in tightening travel restrictions. Grimes even went so far as to appoint the British secret agent Fred Richter as the church's verger to provide cover for his activities. It was this link that spelled the end for him. He was hastily recalled to London and accused of going beyond his remit, but not before he managed to secure a retired Anglican clergyman, Reverend Fred Collard, to take his place. Collard continued the baptisms, and by August of that year, 1,800 Jews had been issued with baptism certificates. This is all from a guy who kind of became a priest because he didn't really know what else he wanted to do with his life. Act 2, the Loving Father. The parable of the prodigal son, or the parable of the two brothers, or the parable of the lost sheep, or the parable of the loving father, it's called all of these things in different translations. This is one of the most memorable stories told by Jesus in the whole of gospel literature. Even though it only appears in one gospel, Luke It's such a well-known story, in fact, that it wouldn't surprise me if one or two of you switched off during the reading this morning. Don't worry too much if that happens. You won't be the only one or two. I'm sure some of you are also wondering why we're reading about a father on Mothering Sunday. So here's today's lesson in church liturgy. The fourth Sunday of Lent is traditionally called Latari Sunday. Latari is a Latin word that means rejoice. Today's gospel describes the reasons for our joy. God's great love for us has been revealed in Jesus. Through his passion, his death, and his resurrection, Christ has reconciled us with God and with one another. We think of God as a father because of the traditions that were handed down by Jewish teaching in the time before Jesus. Remember, Jesus was Jewish. So were the first Christians. Anyway, that's a story for a different Sunday. The point is that in today's society, we can equally view God as father, mother, both I personally don't believe that God is or needs to be assigned a specific gender. So on to the parable. This is one of those stories that even non-Christians tend to know in one form or another, usually using the most famous of its monikers, the prodigal son. It's a name given by a translator in the early years of the church who has long since faded from our memory. A name given when the bold headlines were added to the books of the Bible somewhere along the way. That's why this story has multiple names. None of them specifically designated by Jesus. But all of them capturing the nature of God's forgiveness and of God's unshakable love. Even in the face of rudeness and disrespect on our part. Let's start with this prodigal idea. A lot of redemption stories are directly drawn from the idea of the prodigal in film, television, novels, popular music. The chapter I was reading from in a field guide to English clergy, that chapter is called Prodigal Sons. The last verse of the Irish folk song, The Wild Rover, proclaims, I'll go home to my parents, confess what I've done, and I'll ask them to pardon their prodigal son. And when they've caressed me as oft times before, I never will play the Wild Rover no more. Disney's classic film, The Lion King, features a son who runs away after the death of his father and goes to live a Hakuna Matata existence, far from the kingdom which it is his birthright to rule. Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. It means no worries for the rest of our days. It's our problem-free philosophy. You get the point. (laughs) Simba eventually returns home and challenges his evil uncle for the kingdom. There's even this grippingly gospel of Mark baptism of Jesus moment where Simba has a vision of his father in the shimmery sky above who proclaims, remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Just a few weeks ago, Fox Television in America announced its plans for a new crime drama series called Prodigal Son. Based off the little bit I've read about it, though I've got a feeling that one's going to have very little to do with the gospel in any way. But even the title given to this parable, one that was created by a Bible translator, remember, it's become a part of pop culture to the point that we talk about all sorts of prodigal sons in our daily world. In the world of 2019, we crave redemption stories. And we're rife with examples, both real and fictional, of someone leaving home, screwing everything up, and being welcomed back with love, compassion, and open arms. So much of our culture can actually be so unforgiving these days. It's honestly nice sometimes to remind ourselves of our calling to forgive each other, and the privilege that it is to show love to one another. The prodigal son is a touching illustration not only because of the father's love, but because the son comes back regretful, totally apologetic he's ready to lower himself and become a servant but the loving father is not going to have any part of that he runs to the son he welcomes him back open arms and finds his return to be a cause for celebration I remember just over five years ago when Jose Mourinho returned to Chelsea with great feasting and dancing from supporters who were eager to see him return to the posh southern borough with the glorious self believed specialness that had helped him to produce consecutive runs as champions in the previous decade, willing to forget he had left under fishy circumstances five years before that, allowing him back into Stamford Bridge with a clean slate. Well, A trophy and some bitter disappointment later, they were running him out of town with pitchforks. (laughs) And this isn't my favorite redemption story. It's not even in the top five, honestly. But it's the story I share today because of the Sky Sports headline from 10th June, 2013. The return of the prodigal son. An appropriation of a well-known story to an enigmatic professional football coach coming back to the Premier League. I doubt that the prodigal son in Jesus' parable ever got run out of town for underperforming expectations. I can all but guarantee from the evidence in Scripture that God would never run any of us out for any reason. Thankfully, there's a lot more to life than football. If I've just upset you, please breathe. (laughs) Personally, I quite like the name some of the other translations gave it. The parable of the loving father. I think it's more to the point. And we can extend that and call it the parable of the loving parent if we want. It places the loving welcome home at the center of the story from the very beginning. We already know the father loves the prodigal son before he demands money, before he runs off and spends it all, before he lives in his own private shame and then comes crawling back. Because unlike in my real world example of what Sky Sports called a prodigal return, Jesus' example not only features a son who is repentant and ready to come home and even subordinate himself to become a servant, But the father is also thrilled to have such a blundering son back home. He doesn't ignore the fishy circumstances that led to the son's leaving. He even refers to the son as being dead before his later return in the story. He's accepting his son back with all of that heartache, all of that letdown of the departure still in memory, knowing full well that the son is ready to change. And the father's excited. So excited he wants to have a big party to celebrate. Just so we're all clear, I've skipped over that usual likening of God to the father and us to the screwed up prodigal son to this point because it's the logical jump that most people make from the onset of the passage. But it's a cliche for a reason, so let's go with that now. God the Father gets excited. Do we ever pause to think that God gets excited? Or that something we do can excite God? Or that our confession can excite God? Or that God gets excited knowing full well when we're ready to change and grow. The young son has acted terribly, taken his inheritance with his father still alive, and has run away to a life of hedonism and wastefulness, actually ending up worse than he started out back home, ending up as someone else's servant and envying the scraps the pigs ate. He returns ready to be treated as he deserves for this wastefulness and his disrespect, But the father isn't having any part of that. Bring him in. Dress him in the best robe. And give him a ring and some sandals. Let's have a party. Less social, more introverted people in the room might be thinking, nah, you're all right. But remember, God knows your heart. Maybe the welcome would be more like, here's a comfy seat outside in the shade. Here's a cup of tea. Here's a nice book. Such undying faithful love is exemplary of what I'm sure this parable means to convey. We are all that prodigal son or daughter at some time in our lives. Maybe even at multiple times. There's these points where we crack on doing our own thing. Getting into all sorts of mischief. Leaving God behind whether it's intentional or unintentional, we get into these spaces where we feel really far from God. But when we're ready, all of us, we return and God welcomes us back with open arms, fully embraced, fully rejoiced over, every single one of us. That's what the confession and absolution are all about. That's what forgiveness is. That's what God's love looks like. Now let's remember how the younger son, in fact, has an older brother. An older brother who stuck around in the years that the prodigal son was away squandering his inheritance. The older brother's furious when he discovers that his brother has returned home to such fanfare. But look, I've been here the whole time, Dad. I've helped and grafted, and you've never done any of this for me. The moment he's home, it's all fireworks and candy floss around here. But like a good and loving father would be, the father is very rational, very compassionate in dealing with this general grumpiness from the older son. See, you are always with me, and this is always yours. It always has been. But look, your brother is back. He was basically dead to us, and now? Now he is alive. I'm sure the resurrection message here wouldn't have been lost on the original readers of Luke. Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. God is our Father. We're grumpy sons and daughters given Jesus never did a runner with God's spoils, but it's not a like-for-like story so much as a reminder about the resurrection in this parable. A reminder of the potential for even the most desperate and openly distant to be brought back. We can really plug ourselves into any role in this story, and we will be all of these characters at different points in our life. This is a reminder for us of God's love. That love that will always be ours. Even when we feel our most distant. Even when we're making mischief of one kind or another. Even when we're the one complaining that somebody else totally doesn't deserve all the things they're getting that are better than what we're getting. God loves us at our most distant our most selfish, and our most grumpy, just as much as God loves us at our most jubilant, our most selfless, and our most joyful. Even when we feel a million miles away, even when we're envying the pig scraps, we're only a short journey from a royal reconciling and a fantastic party, or a comfy seat outside in the shade, a cup of tea, and a nice book.